Turn to 2 Samuel, chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 6 through 16. Folks, listen. This is God's Word. While there was a war between the house of Saul and the house of David, Abner was making himself strong in the house of Saul. Now Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, the daughter of Aya. And Ishbosheth said to Abner, Why have you gone into my father's concubine? Then Abner was very angry over the words of Ishbosheth and said, Am I a dog's head of Judah? To this day, I keep showing steadfast love to the house of Saul, your father, to his brothers and to his friends, and have not given you into the hand of David. And yet you charge me today with a fault concerning a woman? God, do so to Abner, and more also, if I do not accomplish for David what the Lord has sworn to him, to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah, from Dan to Beersheba. And Ishbosheth could not answer Abner another word because he feared him. And Abner sent messengers to David on his behalf, saying, To whom does the land belong? Make your covenant with me, and behold, my hand shall be with you to bring over all Israel to you. And he, David, said, Good, I will make a covenant with you. But one thing I require of you, that is, you shall not see my face unless you first bring Michal, Saul's daughter, when you come to see my face. Then David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, Give me my wife, Michal, for whom I paid the bridal price of a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. And Ishbosheth sent and took her from her husband, Paltiel, the son of Laish. But her husband went with her, weeping after her all the way to Baharim. And then Abner said to him, Go, return. And he returned. This is God's word. In our series on 2 Samuel, we're focusing on our relationships. Right? This year as a church, we're talking about growing our gospel relationships, our relationships with Christ, our relationships within the church, and our relationships in the world. And it's ironic because as we focused on this during the fall, you know, we're six, seven weeks into this series, so many of you are seeking to go deeper, and it's getting difficult. I keep hearing stories of people who are making efforts to go deeper, and things are sort of erupting. Relationships are getting messy. Things are getting difficult because, boy, we think, yeah, I want to go deeper. I really want to work on these relationships. And we just think it's going to be smooth sailing. But, you know, we all bring baggage into relationships. And and the reality is that relationships are difficult. They take time. They take energy. And they're usually really, or not, I mean, it depends, but a lot of relationships are messy. And the goodness that we get out of relationships is in the midst of that messiness. So if you're in that place, boy, you're in the right place. Okay, you're doing what you should be doing. If things are getting messy, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, today, in our passage, we're going to see more messiness in relationships. We're going to get to get up close and personal with Abner. Right? We've met him before. We've seen some things about him. We're going to see a lot more uh, with Abner today. Um, in the past, we've seen he's an opportunist. He's manipulative. He's a strong leader. He knows how to fight, when to fight, when not to fight. 
Today we're going to see a different side of him as he makes really the ultimate decision in his life. And as we watch this, what we're going to see in these scenes is going to impact all of us. It's going to impact you in your relationships. You're going to see relationships that you're in right now in this passage. You're going to see relationships in family, with friends. So many of these relationships are amazing vignettes of the workplace. Right? As we look through these things, you're going to find, hey, wait, you know what? At the office, boy, this person reminds me of Abner. This person's kind of like Ishbosheth, or gosh, I'm like this to so and so. Okay? And so we're going to see this stuff. It's so amazing because we're looking at kingdoms, right? These are kingdoms. The kingdom of Israel is changing hands from Saul to David, but it's all about relationships. And so we're going to look at three points today from this passage. If you want to take notes, I'll give them to you now. Um, first, we're going to see that Abner is sick of life on his own. Okay, Abner's sick of life on his own. Second, Abner remembers the promises of God. And then third, Abner is welcomed by David with peace. Okay, so Abner's sick of life on his own, remembers the promises of God, and he's welcomed by David with peace. So first, he's sick of life on his own. This is really verses 6 through 8. As you read these verses, um, you see this interaction between Abner and Ishbosheth. Okay, Ishbosheth is the dummy king. Well, he's the, I'm sorry. <laughs> he's the king that was a son of Saul, the former king who died, and Abner established Ishbosheth as king. Now, Ishbosheth, let's let's stop and talk about him for a second. Ishbosheth, he's really a, he's a sad, tragic case. Okay, he's the kind of person you want to feel sorry for because someone promised him a kingdom, but he's realizing that he's being used as a puppet. Okay, that's that's Ishbosheth in a nutshell. Promised a kingdom, being used as a puppet. This the verses here, verses six, seven, and eight, actually show that Ishbosheth is impotent. He's powerless uh, in these things. And it's funny because everybody takes a turn at Ishbosheth. Okay, what do I mean? Well, in verse 6, the narrator takes a shot at Ishbosheth. Look, while there was a war between the house of Saul and the house of David, it's kind of messed up, right? Ishbosheth is the son, he's been established as king. This isn't the house of Saul anymore, it's the house of Ishbosheth. And yet the narrator is. Not, he's, he's basically saying it's still about Saul. It's not about Ishbosheth. In verse 7, even Ishbosheth kind of has an inferiority complex. Look at verse 7. Ishbosheth confronts Abner and says, Why have you gone into my father's concubine? Ishbosheth, Saul's dead. Your dad's gone. You're the king. That's your concubine. And yet when he approaches Abner, He's referring to his father. His father is the one that has the power. And so Ishbosheth also is denigrating himself. And then Abner obviously piles on because Abner is realizing here what's going on. But Abner says the same thing. Look what he says in verse 8. To this day I keep showing steadfast love to the house of Saul, your father, to his brothers and to his friends. Who's not getting the love? Right? And then he says, and I haven't given you into the hand of David. Abner's saying, look, Ishbosheth, the only reason you're still here is because of me. And so, again, these three testimonies are showing where Ishbosheth is. 
And the idea here, the picture here, is that Abner, you know, we weren't there, but we kind of can get a picture of it. Abner comes to Ishbosheth and says, Hey, Ish, check it out. I'm going to make you king. I'm the commander of the army of Saul. I'm controlling. We have control over 11 of the 12 tribes of Israel. And the, the army is going to follow whoever I tell them to follow. And you know what? You are going to be king. It's going to be you, Ishbosheth. You're going to be the man. And Ishbosheth believes him. Right? He believes because Abner pumps him up. Abner makes him believe it. And now he sees in this text, he's realizing all of this is crumbling. It's crumbling. He's been squeezing onto this kingdom and he's realizing it's like sand. It's falling through his fingers because Abner is really the one in control. Ishbosheth has no power. Ishbosheth has put all his eggs in the basket of Abner's strength and favor. But now Abner is running the show. You get the picture? I mean, that's Ishbosheth. And now he's stuck. He's got to say something now because Abner just went into one of Saul's concubines. Okay, that's a big deal. Okay, that's a big deal. Uh, the scholars say to take the wife or a concubine of a late king was to appropriate his property and to make a bid for the throne. Okay, if you want to see a really clear picture that this is the intention behind this, you can look at 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 22, when Absalom does this. He actually sets up a tent on the roof of his house so that everyone can see, and he literally parades into this tent with one of Saul's concubines, okay, declaring to Israel that he is the king. And so Abner goes in. Maybe Abner's making a play for the throne. Maybe he just feels like, hey, I got the power. I like the way she looks. I'm going to go do this because I can. I mean, either way, Ishbosheth is stuck now because he's got to address it. He's got to address it because this is, <laughs> this is go time, right? It's, it's sort of put up or shut up for Ishbosheth, even if he's afraid of where this conversation is going to go. And so you can kind of see him. He's cowering in fear. He's got the title king, but he realizes now it doesn't mean anything. Abner's getting more powerful. He's got to say something. And so, and so he speaks up. And I think Ishbosheth just calls us to ask ourselves, are you in this situation right now at all in any of the relationships in your life? Is there someone who's abusing you to the point where you're afraid to speak up? Again, in the workplace, at home, with friends, are you being put under, the uh, you know, under someone else's power? You feel like you can't get out and you're afraid to have that conversation. If you are, this text is showing you Ishbosheth. See Ishbosheth and find yourself. And he's right. Ishbosheth was right to be afraid because Abner does. He snaps. He brings this up. Abner? Why'd you go in there? Why'd you do that? And Abner freaks out. And the text tells us, verse 8, he was angry. He's angry over the words of Ishbosheth. He's insulted, right? Am I a dog's head of Judah? He's like, are you kidding me? Really? I, what a dog's head of Judah is, that's, am I an errand boy for David? 
You say, look, am I living for him? You're worried about me undermining your authority? I'm not serving David. He's also, he feels unappreciated and underestimated. He says, I keep showing love. From the beginning up to this point, I have only shown love to the house of Saul. Right? And he feels like, and then he says, look, I'm the reason I haven't, you know, I haven't given you over to the hand of David. And now you want to bring this up? Really? You want to charge me with a fault concerning a woman? And it's interesting, because Abner's good at this. You know, this isn't the first time Abner's been caught and called on something, and he gets really defensive, and he puts all the blame on the other person. And this is pretty effective if you're Abner, and it works, because Ishbosheth couldn't answer him. He cowers in fear. But what's going on with Abner is that Abner has come to the end of his rope. Abner is sick and tired of dealing with this. He's frustrated. He's frustrated with Ishbosheth, but I think even more than that, he's yelling at Ishbosheth because he's, he's mad at himself. Because he has worked so hard. He has orchestrated this entire situation. Not going with David, choosing Ishbosheth, raising Ishbosheth up, using his army, moving in. He's tried to do everything. And he's realizing that it's not working out. It is all coming crashing down. Right now, he realizes his plans are not going to work. Ishbosheth is weak. And Abner is sitting there going, Man, it wasn't supposed to turn out like this. This was not how it was supposed to be. How many of you are feeling that way? How many of you are feeling Abner's frustration? Or you're tired of life? You feel like you've had to do everything on your own. Nobody else seems to care. And despite your best efforts, it's still not working out. When you feel that way, where do you go? Where do you turn? What do you do? How do you handle the situation? Well, Abner, what Abner does, it's pretty crazy because it's something you wouldn't expect from Abner. This is our second point. When Abner hits that low, it's like he finally hit the bottom. Abner remembers the promises of God. This is point two. Abner remembers the promises of God. This is verses 9 to 11. Because you think about what Abner could have done. He could have killed Ishbosheth. He could have orchestrated some deal where it would have made it look like it wasn't his fault. You know, he kind of did that supposedly with, that, with Asahel, you know, last chapter. We saw that. He could have found another one of Saul's sons. You know, he could have tried to make a play for the throne himself. But instead, Abner remembers the promises of God. Verses 9 and 10. God do so to Abner, and more also. That's an ancient Hebrew way of saying, I'm going to do this, so help me God. Okay, that's just an oath formula. God do so to Abner, and more also. He's saying, if I don't do what I'm about to say, then may the curse of God fall upon me. Okay? That's what Abner's saying. So, he said, God do so to Abner, and more also, if I do not accomplish for David what the Lord has sworn to him to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan to Beersheba. 
So he remembers that God has sworn to make David king of all Israel. Right? All of it, from Dan to Beersheba. That's north to south, south to north. That's from San Diego to Sacramento. Right? Because there is no city north of there, is there? I was trying to think. I, actually, I couldn't think of a major city that everybody would recognize it's north of Sacramento. So, uh, But yeah, so the, the point is, from north to south, Dan to Beersheba, uh, it's the whole thing. It's the whole of Israel. He knew. He knew. And this is interesting, because it doesn't say, between verses 8 and 9, that a prophet of the Lord came and spoke unto Abner and reminded him of the promises of God. Right? No, there, there was no scene in, in here. This is part of one long speech. Right? Abner begins speaking. He's frustrated. And then he quotes the promises of God. What does that mean? It means he already knew these promises from God. Okay? He actually knew all these promises. This whole time, Abner knew God's promises. And so this whole time prior to this, all of the things Abner's been doing up to this point, he really was fighting against God. He really was at war with God and God's purposes. He knew what God's plan was. He knew exactly what God intended to do next. And his orchestrations, his puppeteering, his organizing the armies and setting up this other king was an effort to fight against God. He knew God had chosen David, but he wanted to go his own way. And so, before we get mad at Abner, I think we've got to stop. And we've called him a hypocrite, rightly so, in the past. We've got to be careful because I think that this is also true of us sometimes. Right? You know, sometimes we hear things, but we're not ready to listen. How many times have you known what the right thing to do is, but you just don't want to listen? You stop your ears. You just think about something else. You put it out of your mind. But here, now, finally, Abner is listening. So he hears, he remembers the promises, and then he goes to David. He actually, actually he, he sends messengers to David. So what's your number one question for Abner at this point? Right, if you had Abner right here, his messengers went out, what would you ask him? I mean, the thing that jumps off at me is, is this just another ploy? Like, is Abner being sincere, right? Does Abner really mean this? Or is this just another one of his efforts at manipulation? Well, all right, this didn't work out, but that's okay, because I can do my marionetting over here, right? I can see if I can control David, manipulate David. Well, is he sincere? We actually don't know yet. The text doesn't tell us. All right, we have our suspicions because of his past. What's David going to think? How's David going to respond? Does he think, does he think Abner's sincere? Well, we're going to find that out. So, but here's what's interesting. Is that in a sense, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because of how David responds. We're going to see that in a minute. But here's the point. Abner coming back to David is very similar to the way that we return to God. Okay? 
in the application of this part of the story, it would be appropriate for us to see David as God and to see Abner as us. And what's interesting is that when you come to God, you ask yourself, are you coming out of sincere reasons? Are you, are you sincere in coming to the Lord or are you looking to manipulate? And whether you're sincere or not, David's response to Abner will teach you how God responds to you when you come to him. Okay? So that's our third point. Our third point is that Abner is welcomed by David with peace. He's welcomed by David with peace. So let's see how David responds. And as we watch David respond, remember, this is how God responds to you when you come to him. So look at verse, this is verses 13 to, or verses 12 to 16. Right, Abner sends messengers to David, offering and make this covenant with me. David responds in verse 13. He says, good, I will make a covenant with you. So we see here that David responds first and foremost with grace. He responds with grace. The first word out of David's mouth is good. Good. Abner, you want to come? David's initial response is good. That's fantastic. Let's do it. This tells us that God's arms are open wide. God, if you want to come to him, you can if you want to return to the Lord, you can. If you want peace with God, he will give it to you. You can have it. And he won't just give you peace, but God will make promises to you. Just like David and Abner established a covenant, God has established a covenant and his oathing. He is promising that if you come to him, he will respond and receive you. So David responds with grace. God responds with grace. But, but, here's where it's interesting. David's gracious response includes a test of sincerity. Okay? David's gracious response, his welcoming response, includes a test of sincerity. David isn't stupid. Okay? David's not an idiot. He recognizes who Abner is. He knows that there's a history of Abner, right? He understands who Abner is. And so in, in receiving Abner, he's not simply going to let a spy come in to undermine him from, under, you know, from, from the inside, to bring his kingdom down. And so he gives Abner a condition. A condition, he says, verse 13, one thing I require of you, bring Michal. Bring Michal. And so just a quick word, Michal, um, just think about Michelle, right? That's probably a better, more modern, you know, translate that into, the, into what we say today. Just think Michelle. Quick word on Michelle. Michelle was David's first wife, okay? This wasn't just any random person. This was David's first wife. 1 Samuel 18, it tells us in really interesting detail of Michelle's love for David. She was enamored with him. She loved him. And then if you could see just how much David had to do to win her hand in marriage. Right? He was sent out. They said, you've got to bring a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. Verse 14. 
100 foreskins of the Philistines. So this is Israel's way of scalping people back then. Okay? Um, condition was, David, you want to marry Michelle? You need to go out and kill 100 Philistines in battle. And they're uncircumcised, dirty, rotten scoundrels. And so what you can do is after you kill them, go ahead and circumcise them, bring the foreskins back. And if you bring back 100, you can have Michelle. You can marry her. So David goes out and does it. Doesn't just do that. He brings out 200 foreskins. Imagine that scene. Here you go. I wonder what that would be. Like how big a, a basket. I don't know. This is what David, this is the legs David went to win her hand, right? So you see this real love. But in 1 Samuel 25, Saul was in a rage against David. He took Michelle away from David and gave her to be the wife of Paltiel. He just took her, gave her away to someone else. And so now David wants her back. David wants her back. Now, not only did David love Michelle, he loved her, but she was also one of Saul's daughters. Okay? She's a princess, daughter of the king. Okay? David, to have her back, would make David a prince. Right? A prince in the house of Saul with a fast track to being able to have a legitimate claim to the throne of Israel. You know, and so David, he's, he's mixing love and politics here, right? He loves Michelle, but he also realizes if he does this, it would further unite all of Israel under his rule. And so he asks for Michelle for these two reasons. But the point is, of putting it on Abner, this is a test to see if Abner is sincere. David says, absolutely, come on. I'd love to have you as part of, my, as part of our team. But then David gives him something that will make sure. Because see, if Abner does this, he would be dealing a death blow to the kingdom of Saul. Okay? Because Abner is the one in power in the house of Saul. And if Abner does this, if Abner takes Michelle and brings her to David, it will show the entire nation that Abner has sided with, it, with David. And Ishbosheth now is completely and utterly powerless to stop him. Okay, so do you understand that? So this isn't just any old condition. This isn't just David longing for his lost love or being a politician even. David is saying, look, Abner, I want you in my family. I want you to come onto my side. And, I, and so in order for you to show me that you are serious, to show your sincerity so that I can learn to trust you, I want you to do this thing that will definitively cut ties with your old allegiance. Okay, because if Abner does this, there's no going back. Make sense? Okay. I think for us, as we look to apply this, God does the same thing to us when we come to him. Okay? Now, it's, it's not because we have to earn our salvation. Okay? Salvation is a free gift. We don't have to do any works to be worthy of God's grace because if we did, all of us would fail. We wouldn't meet the standard that God has set. God's requirements are designed as part of his loving response to help us be sincere. 
Okay? This is a different way to think about the commands of Scripture. Right? Christianity, some people think religion in general, and Christianity gets the blame for this, is it's all about do's and don'ts. Right? That's not how it works. In this passage, I think this passage highlights the reality that sometimes the commands of God are tests for us to see if we are sincerely wanting to follow God. Right? It is common for people to say, man, I want to follow Jesus because my life is messed up, I really need to get out of this, and I hear that Jesus can fix things for me. Okay? And so people come to Jesus, and when their life situation works out, they leave. Okay? And they just, they weren't really interested in Jesus so much as they were interested in what Jesus' blessings were. Okay? There was no real relationship there. And so the commands of God are his authority. It's a way for you to know if you are sincerely following him or not. He wants you to be really, really clear where you stand with him. He wants every one of you to know if you're following him or not, if you're in a relationship with him or not. And so one of the ways that you can ask yourself is, am I living my life under the authority of Jesus? So when I make decisions in my life, generally speaking, out of every ten decisions that I make, right, how many of those decisions do I make in order to please Jesus? Right? Versus, do I really not care at all what Jesus has to say in my life? And do I completely ignore him? Or do I only obey him when it's really convenient and I would have done it anyways? Right? I mean, you understand the picture there? And so Jesus wants us to be clear And God's requirements are designed as part of his love to help us know exactly where we stand. Okay, and so you want to ask yourself, are you sincere? Are you sincerely following Jesus? Are there things in your life where you could point to them and say, this is evidence that I'm living my life trying to follow Jesus? Okay, and when we talk about sincerity, Please, 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 I'll get down on my knees and beg you, please do not hear me saying you have to be perfect. Okay? I am not saying that you have to be perfect. I'm not saying that every decision that you make has to be for Jesus, otherwise you're out. Because it's grace. It's grace. But at the same time, God, again, he provides us with clarity so that we can know, am I living under the authority of Jesus or not? Do I know what his authority is? Boy, if I don't, that's a good reason to study Scripture, right? Not to earn something from God, but just so that I can know, Jesus, how can I love you with my life, right? And so, you want to ask yourself, will you do what God asks you to do? Will you break ties, like Abner? Will you break ties with your old way of life? And let me say, too, look, there's some stuff that we get into that is so deep and enslaving that we can't get out, okay? And so I'm not saying that if there's something you're stuck in, be it an addiction, be it in a, in a, a relationship where you're, just, you're stuck and you can't get out, right? I mean, there's, there's things that we deal with in our lives that we just, or, or it's a sin that we're continuing to commit, we're habitually committing, right? And we're struggling to the point where we think, man, if I'm really struggling with this, I must not be under the authority of Jesus. I must not be a Christian, right? Have you ever felt that way? Boy, I've felt that way. And you just, you convince yourself, man, maybe this isn't true for me. 
Maybe I'm not really a believer because if I was, wouldn't I grow here? There are some things in our lives where we cannot get out of them on our own. Okay, and if, if, if we're talking about one of those things in your life, get help. Okay, get help. Don't try to do it on your own. Talk to a brother or sister in the church. If you need counseling, come talk to me. Talk, go to a community group. I mean, get help, okay? We're not talking about being perfect here. And actually, the reality of the struggle, the fact that it bothers you that you're struggling with something, the reality that you have confessed it over and over and over again, that's part of the proof and the evidence that you do have a relationship with Jesus, that you are sincerely following him, okay? So, so David's gracious response includes this test of sincerity. Well then, Abner delivers. Abner delivers. David, in verse 14, he sends messengers to Ishbosheth. Presumably this was at Abner's prompting. And Ishbosheth gives her to him. So he gets Michelle back. But then we have this guy, Paltiel. Man, don't you feel bad? I mean, seriously, I'm amazed that in one verse, I don't know if it's 15 words here, like my heart breaks for this guy, right? I mean, there he is. And even though, like it doesn't even matter, even though she was David's wife first, right? David had her first, right? And even though Saul took her away from David, gave her to Paltiel, it's still pitiful, Right? Her husband went with her, weeping after her all the way to Baharim. Man. There he goes. He's falling. My life is over, right? He's crying. He's weeping. He's mourning. His, his life is over. You feel bad? I do. Man. If you feel bad, that's the point. That's the point. You're supposed to feel bad because actually this is Ishbosheth's last ditch effort to manipulate the public opinion. Okay? Ishbosheth knows that he's in trouble. He knows he's going to lose the kingdom and he's got to do something. He doesn't know what. He can't stand against David now that Abner has sided with him. And so he sends Paul, he sends Paul Chiel out after Michelle. He sends her after to try to make David look like the bad guy so that everybody would see Paltio and feel just how you felt. Right? Just how I felt when I was reading this. He was trying to get everybody in the kingdom to feel the way we felt at this pitiful scene. Ishbosheth's hope is that if we see this or if we hear about it, we'll think that David is this rotten, awful ruler, this tyrant, who is cruelly punishing the people just to serve himself. Like that's what Ishbosheth is trying to do. And then Abner steps up again. Act number two. And he puts a stop to it. He shuts Paul Teal down, shuts him up, and then sends him on his way. And so we see here that Abner, he's leaving Ishbosheth. And he is beginning to work for David. He's committed to helping David. The man who fought against God, the man who fought against David, he is now returning to serve the king. Good news for us is that 
if you feel that way, if you're ready to return to him, God will welcome you back too. God will welcome you back too. And this is for Christians and non-Christians. If you're not a Christian here today, I mean, this is an opportunity for you to come back to Jesus, to return, to confess that you've been living apart from him, and to just order your life around him. Just determine that you're going to live for him, and he, his arms are open wide. If you are a Christian, but you have areas of your life, right? Because we struggle with the same things sometimes as our non-Christian friends. You know, where there's an area where you're not serving him, are you ready to give that back? Are you ready to give that up to him? To stop serving your old way of life and embrace Jesus and his authority? God is so gracious. And we've got to remember time and time again, he tests us not for perfection, but for sincerity. For sincerity, where is your heart? Does your heart desire to serve him more than anything else? As I thought about this passage and recognizing the dynamics here, the relationship stuff going on, the thing that hit me was how can David accept Abner? You know, I mean, he doesn't have to. Like, where does David find the whatever to actually say good to Abner. You know, um, are there Abners in your life? People that are just working against you? People that drive you crazy? People that seem to be trying to undermine your life? Undermine your work? Um, How would you feel if someone like that wanted to come back and make things right? I think the only thing that could motivate David beyond his political wisdom um, is that if I'm David in this place, I am so overwhelmed at the God that I serve. I think David was so overcome because like, here's David's perspective. David lived for 40 years under the reign of Saul. Right? And for decades of that reign, David was running for his life. And day in and day out, year in and year out, God protected David from Saul. There were times when Saul was this close to catching him and killing him. And God spared David over and over and over and over again. There were times when David had Saul in his clutches and could have killed him once, twice. Could have destroyed him had every right to do it, and yet did not lift a hand against him because David was trusting in God. David knew that God was going to take care of him, that God was in control, and he did not have to sin in order to get his way. He didn't have to go outside of God's standards to get his way. And so David has been living in this way for years and years and years and years and decades. And there he is in Hebron, sitting on his throne, who the heck knows where. These messengers walk in, right? David is ruling over one nation out of 12. He sees hope. He sees promise that things are getting stronger for him and weaker for Saul. And then into his court walks these messengers and they say, we're from the most powerful guy on the other side. 
he wants to make peace and he wants to give you the rest of the kingdom of Israel for free. Free. I think if you're David, you're sitting there going, okay, Lord, this is too much. <laughs> really? Really? David is so overwhelmed with the blessings of God. He is so overwhelmed that he can sit there and do what is right in terms of his enemies. He doesn't go after the Jabesh Gileadites, but he honors them. Remember in chapter 2, right? He doesn't support Joab's angry fighting and, and seeking to grow the kingdom by force. He has sat back and waited on the Lord. And God has given him everything that he's longed for. David is so overwhelmed by the grace and by the abundance of blessings that come from God that he says, of course you can come, Abner. Are you kidding? Like, I'm not here because I'm perfect. God has shown grace to me. Of course, how could I not show grace to you, Abner? How could I not have you be welcomed in? I would love for you to experience the kind of grace that I've experienced from God. David was overwhelmed and so if Abner wants to come back, David says, of course he can. Of course he can. And when I see that, when I imagine what was going on, when I see the promises of God handing David the kingdom on a silver platter, when David did nothing to earn it, I feel like we've just been ushered into the presence of Jesus. Because Jesus is our king greater than King David and treats us the same way. If David, because of his experience of grace, could be a gracious blessing to Abner, Jesus welcomes us with the same open arms. And it's interesting because Jesus is similar but different because Jesus accepts us, but it's not Jesus' abundant blessing that enables him to receive us and welcome us back. It's because Jesus experienced the curse. That's what enables him to welcome us back. It's because Jesus has experienced the wrath of God, the punishment of God against our sin, and that's what enables him. And so in a sense, Jesus took the curse for us so that he could open his arms wide, die on the cross, so he could gather us in as part of his family. It's the prodigal son. Jesus is God running down the road to meet you as you come back. Jesus is the one who is rejoicing and all the while he's rejoicing at you finding salvation, finding peace with God, finding a renewed strength within you. He knows that for you to experience this joy, he's going to have to lose everything. And he's willing to do it for you. He's willing to do it for you so that when you feel fear like Ishbosheth, when you feel frustrated like Abner, he can draw near to you and he can deal with those emotions. It's so that when you experience this grace of Jesus, all of your relationships will change. He will pour out his abundant blessings on you through his spirit. And as you experience those, 
how can you not share those with other people? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are overwhelmed at your grace. To say thank you seems so trite, and yet with all of our heart, we thank you. We thank you for the way that you have given up everything for us. You experienced the curse, our curse, so that we could experience the blessings. Fill each one of us with a sense of trust and joy that spills out into our relationships. Set us free from our fear and our frustration and help us to show this grace even to the Abners in our lives. And when we are the Abner, Lord, lead us back to you. I pray for every person here who is in that place where Abner was, Christians and non, that you would lead them back, that you'd lead them close to yourself, that you'd help them give everything to you and order their life around your authority. And we'll give you glory. Amen.